across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. We have got this week to Acts chapter 2. But I'm not preaching it. Thank you. I'm not quite sure how I feel about this. I'm hurt now. <laughs> it's so good to have John and Julie with us today. All right, why don't you guys come out here a second? Because I hear... It's a wedding anniversary today. It is 140 years. <laughs> or maybe just 40 years. It is their Ruby wedding anniversary today. What a better way of spending your 40th wedding anniversary than to, be come, than to be here. But we just want to say that we love you guys and honour you and uh, are so grateful to God for you. I remember the day that you first came to Derby when we were meeting the YMCA, Q Actions, the old YMCA. If you think the YMCA on London Road is nice now, it is. It didn't used to be. The old one, it was grim, I think. And uh, these guys came uh, up from Sussex and said, oh, we're just here on holiday, just, just looking around, which so, was sort of true. But actually, God was doing something in their hearts and uh, brought them to us. And I've said before that things changed dramatically for us when you guys joined us. And it's so exciting. to Well, it's changed that for you as well. Because <laughs> we were largely single 20-somethings and suddenly we had some grown-ups. We had some grown-ups join us, yes. It was so exciting, it was so good. But we're just so thrilled for all God's been doing in you guys and in this new season as you're helping to pioneer in Burton is so exciting as well. But I'm so pleased you're here this morning and happy wedding anniversary. Our wedding scheme colours was pink. How, how did wow. you know? Isn't that lovely? Isn't that With a touch of red for the rubies. That's red. lovely. Yeah. Couldn't be more perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I can do flowers. I can do flowers. <laughs> but I'm so thrilled that John's going to bring God's word to us this morning. So I think, uh, don't take it personally, John, but I think the, the youth are going out now. And uh, the rest of us are looking forward to Acts chapter 2. Sound like a group of pirates, don't they? It is great to be with you. Welcome to Jubilee Derby. And it's interesting that actually when you come to Burton, as some stage some of you will, and see the setup there, because actually when you come to Burton, you almost have to bring your own chair, so we know exactly how many people are there. And it's very unusual to look out and see people spread right across the auditorium. In Burton, you look pretty much straight ahead and you can catch everybody's eyes. And that's the way that I like it. I like to see people's eyes because I can see who's falling asleep or not. It's wonderful. So it's a, it is a privilege today because, as Graham's already said, it's taken 19 years for him to relinquish this passage to anybody else. So he said he wanted to hear a different voice on it. So all I've done, I've taken his preach, and I'm going to read it out, if that's okay. So 
So I thought that's a new twist on it. I don't want to cut across what he's saying or doing. Anyway, um, we'll know by now we're, we're in the series on, on Acts, Acts 2, 42 to 47. But before we get to the passage, I just want to paint a bit of an overall picture about what was happening in the life of the disciples around that time the story was written. And I want to look at the context and the emotions of those involved. But most importantly, I want to try and understand what God might want to say to us through these events. But before I do that, I just want to pray. Father, Lord, we know, having read our Bibles many times, that these verses are very familiar to most of us, Lord God. And we can almost be a bit blasé about them, Father. But I pray by your Holy Spirit this morning that you'll give us an insight into what you want us to hear and know from this, Lord God. Father, I pray it won't just be another 20 minutes of talking, Lord God, but I pray your Holy Spirit will be acting behind the scenes in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, so it's not my intention to hopefully repeat anything of what Graham has already brought to you over the last three weeks or so, but I very quickly want to look at some of the major events that preceded this passage which will hopefully give us some insights into what the disciples might have been thinking. So we know that Jesus had been crucified, he'd already died and he was buried. And then in Luke 24, verse 5, we get the empty tomb, which was what Richard was bringing earlier, really. And the angels are asking, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Amen. And Jesus appears then to Mary and the disciples. And then we get this great commission in Matthew and Mark's of Gospels, Go and make disciples. And that's wonderful assurance of God's covenant love in the end of that passage where it says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And I just felt that was some for somebody here today that actually you just need that reconfirmation of God is with you right to the very end of the age. So that's a wonderful, wonderful promise. Then we get to Acts 1, the account of Jesus being taken up into heaven. Then the disciples return to Jerusalem and it says they are constantly in prayer, not a bad thing to be in. So it's this point I want to stop here and reflect what must that anticipation have been like because commentators would say there's about nine to ten days between Christ's ascension and the day of Pentecost which Graham went over last week. And the disciples have already been promised the Holy Spirit in John 14 verse 16. But when and in what format would the Holy Spirit turn up? And what were their faith levels like at that time, I wonder? Then Graham spoke last week on the day of Pentecost and the suddenly moments of the Holy Spirit, which I love. Suddenly the Holy Spirit breaks in and changes the situation from one to another. And it's wonderful when the Holy Spirit does that. He comes in power, doesn't he? Then in Acts 2.41, Peter addresses the crowds and 3,000 were added in just that one day. Wow, what a glorious time of the church. The creation and the establishment of what we now know as the local church. So that's the lead up to the verses we want to look at this morning. And I want to look at two translations of the Acts 2, 42 to 47. And in the NIV, the paragraph heading in my Bible is the Fellowship of the Believers. Great heading, love it. So this is the NIV version. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then the message translation, which is a bit more, sort of a bit more up to date, a little bit more our language, I guess. 
It says they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe, all those wonders and the signs done through the apostles. All the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that every person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal was a celebration, exuberant and joyful, as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw, and every day their number grew as God added to those who were saved. So two translations, but it's exactly the same thing, it's just the language is slightly different. So if I was to summarise the two things together, they, the fellowship of believers, were devoted and committed to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and the people in general liked what they saw, and the believers had favour with them. It sounds like an amazing template for kingdom growth, does it not? But these were the heady, glorious early days of the newly established church. And this blueprint was just how God had intended it to look both then and, can I suggest, today. It was fresh, exciting, very practical, and through a visible outpouring of love for one another, it won the hearts and minds of non-believers. How? Well, Matthew in chapter 5, verse 16, gives us a bit of an insight here. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So it's all about us, people looking at us and seeing God in us. And I, as I was preparing this, I saw this like a massive funnel. Imagine the top of the funnel up here somewhere. Everything was working towards bringing salvation to the unbeliever. They taught, they met, they broke bread, and they prayed. And the bottom of the funnel, the little sharp point, are those who would eventually be saved and added to the local church. So pour in at the top, come out the bottom, those that were saved and added. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that belonging to or membership of the local church is the greatest honour that could ever come a man's way. Belonging is a privilege bought with Jesus' blood on the cross. Wonderful statement. There's something about belonging to your local church. So we're saved and we're added to the local church. But in these verses, there's a very sobering message for us today. We must not overdose on teaching, meeting, breaking bread and praying. All of these elements are fantastic in themselves, but we've been commissioned to go. The danger is that we can become spiritually obese. We must always go. There must always be intention and movement in all we do to reach the lost. That is what we're called to do. We're not called to be obese Christians. So what made this group of believers so unique? I believe that the outworking of these verses originates from two distinctive features, namely fellowship and devotion. And I want to look at both of these this morning. So I started to prepare this. I looked at the word fellowship and the Greek noun koinonia. As I started to sort of look in the background of that, I just felt that fellowship... I just felt God gave me a bit of a revelation of what fellowship was. And this is what I feel. We can only experience true and deep Christian fellowship with one another because God the Father, through Jesus Christ the Son, and by the Spirit, has established in grace a relationship or new covenant with us, his people. It was all about him first. It was never about us. And those of us who are in Christ, as the Apostle Paul often states, 
are in communion, not only with Jesus Christ and the Father in the Spirit, but also with one another. This relatedness, this relationship and communion is what I would term true fellowship. You see, it's all been role modelled for us in the Trinity. The harmony, the unity, the oneness, the purpose, the wonderful three-in-one operating behind the scenes on our behalf. It's the outworking and it's the unshakability of that relationship that we tap into, that we see, that should come out through our very pores. But how do we come anywhere near accomplishing authentic fellowship one with another? Can I be very practical and honest at this stage? I've often wondered if this passage from some 2,000 years ago is still attainable and wholly relevant to us today in our present culture. Surely it's not possible to replicate or indeed come anywhere near this type of fellowship in our day. Or is it? And surely it's not possible to accomplish everything that's intimated in this passage in Acts and to see people swept into the kingdom. Or is it? And you might say, well, times are very different now. The world demands more of us. And there just doesn't seem to be the opportunity to sit around eating with friends, attending prayer meetings, or sharing our possessions. Or is there another way to replicate the beauty we see in this emerging local church in Jerusalem? I've often flippantly thought that the only way to fulfill these very familiar verses would be to buy a large house and live in a commune with you lot. Imagine the scene. Sorry? What joy. Imagine the scene for a moment. All of us living there and having everything in common. And one day you asked to borrow my brand new lawnmower. <laughs> Ring a bell with anybody? Mm-hmm. And you bring it back broken. And I just bless you. Because that's the type of guy I am. So, whilst there may indeed be some great character-building benefits of us all sharing a one-bathroom, 28-bedroom <laughs> jubilee squat, the more attainable outworking of believers being together and having everything in common seems to me is through our small group structure, which we call life groups. They are one of my passions in church life. I love what they stand for and what they do in church. They are a port in the storm and also an expression of the army of God. They are mini-church without the donuts. Although, actually, some of you do have donuts, so well done. Yes, sorry, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've had the privilege recently of attending all but one of those groups, and I want to report back that they are in very safe and caring hands of a wonderful group of leaders here in Jubilee. Question, are you a member of one? Because this is where true fellowship will be built. And in fact, if you're a Christian here today and you don't belong to even belong to a local church, can I suggest that you're putting yourself at risk of having a heart that becomes hardened to God? How is that, you say? Because no one has committed themselves to run after you when you go astray. And go astray you will. The love and accountability are missing. Who is covering your back when the enemy prowls round like a roaring lion? Commitment is so vital in church life. And I know I've used this example once before, but I just felt this just brings back um, to, to point, really, this guy that I used to work with. When I first left school and I went to work in a bakery, there was a wonderful guy there that just talked about God all day long. Absolutely born-again Christian, every poor. He was just all about God. 
And in the workplace, he wouldn't mind about talking to anybody, customers, staff, whatever. And he was out on the streets talking to people as well on the, on the weekends. And then one day I heard, basically, that actually he'd fallen away from God's. And he'd fallen away because he wasn't a member of a church. He just did it by himself. He was out there on a limb. And I felt how sad that was, that someone we've lost to somebody like that from the kingdom who just actually gossiped the gospel. So that's a little bit on fellowship, but I just want to look at the other key words here which he talked about, which is devotion. And remember, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. One of the overriding themes here is the wholehearted devotion to everything that they did. It was all for one and one for all. It was all about teamwork. Call it what you will, but it was uniquely effective in winning souls for Christ. Devotion to one another. How are we doing on that one in Jubilee? You see, devotion speaks of loyalty, dedication and deep affection. It's the one another of scripture. Church is a family where a sense of belonging and care operates. Have you experienced that recently? I hope as a member of the leadership of this church that you have. But I also understand that church can be sometimes a lonely place. But please don't give up on us because we won't give up on you. Devotion is the power of love of Jesus Christ to one another. It's the same love that puts to death once and for all our sin and wipes out our shame. It heals deep wounds and it brings reconciliation. It's a love that patches broken dreams and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. This radical message of the transforming love of God has been given to us, his church. And through God's mercy, we will see it unfold as we become more devoted to one another and to those who have not yet experienced the saving grace of God. We do see this devotion on a Sunday and in other gatherings, but its real outworking is best seen in the setting of a life group. There is not one of us here who does not need to be loved and encouraged. We might react differently to love and encouragement, but essentially it should be the lifeblood of this and any church. So I want to throw out a challenge this morning about love and encouragement one to another. Church only operates because there's many people behind the scenes pulling the strings and making it work on time. So I want to challenge you this week, pick up the phone or drop a text or say well done to somebody you haven't done that before. So maybe there was somebody of the musicians this morning you've never seen up on the stage or maybe it's their second time. Why don't you go up to them at the end of the service and say thank you so much for doing that, for serving so well. Or why don't you go up to the guys that are doing the PA today and saying thank you, you're all behind the scenes but we appreciate it. Or the people that run the creche or Tim and his team or Christian and her team, thank and bless and, and encourage those in the church that fosters a deep, deep devotion one to another. There's some of you that are so very good at this, and without embarrassing too many people, Naomi is excellent at that. I so often get a text from Naomi saying, thank you and well done. It just builds me up so much, and we need to operate in that type of, of realm where we're encouraging and loving one another. It's very scriptural to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, because each person who is in Christ has been given different spiritual gifts in order that we might bring a light to those in darkness. It's the funnel again. Everything goes in the top, out the bottom comes those that are in darkness. Romans 12 verse 5 says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have spiritual gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. 
If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is preaching, if it's sorry, if it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We do not own these gifts. They are from God. They belong to the local church for its edification. So can I encourage you to stir up the gifting in each other? If you see someone stepping out for the first time, go and bless them for doing that. It takes courage to do that sort of thing, whether it's in a life group setting or in the main body here. This is not just a leadership function to do. It's a body ministry. That sums up devotion to one another. But this passage always talks, also talks about devotion to the apostles' teaching. Can I urge you to be devoted to foster a deep affection for godly teaching? Whether that's reading your Bible, listening to a podcast, attending a meeting, etc. Put yourself in a position to be taught well. Now I'm 63 years old and I've just come back from, I've got one month left on the School of Leadership. I never thought I would get on the School of Leadership. I never could make the time for it before. But praise God, it's one of the best things I've ever done. Get on a, if you can get a, a couple of years off, 20 times over two years, once a month, 10 months a year, Friday and Saturday, sorry, Thursday and Friday, get on the School of Leadership. It's well worth doing that sort of thing. But get taught well. Why do we need to get taught well? Because God has promised through his word to shape and transform us from one degree of glory to another. Why? Because we need to grow in love for God and we need to dwell on the magnificent promises to us, his people. Why? Because ultimately we're called to reach the lost, the downtrodden and the lonely of this world. They're called sheep without a shepherd. Without being taught well and reading your Bible, you will never fully understand what it says in Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. We must have the compassion of Christ as we go out on the streets, as we talk to neighbours, as we're at the school gates, as we're chatting to people. We must understand Christ's compassion for the lost, otherwise we will never be able to move out in that area. Finally, verse 47 says in this passage, it finishes up a talk about church growth. The fellowship of believers were enjoying the favour of all the people. Folk were looking in. And because of what they saw, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, how did he do that? Remember that funnel? Get taught, fellowship with one another, break bread together, pray, but always go. And secondly, there's a very practical thing to do as well. There's a strategy that as a church we need to adopt. And I just want to honour Ray and B in this area. Ray has done a magnificent job in evangelism in this church. Many of you won't recognise the hours that this man puts into what the church is doing behind the scenes, out on the streets with his team every other Saturday. He's done a fantastic work in Burton. We're so grateful for what Ray and the team have done in Burton. But Ray's come up with this strategy for the church, so everything leads to an alpha course. So it's called Join the Dots, basically. So we do things in life groups. We have, we have quiz evenings, and it leads down to the... It's a bit like a funnel as well. It leads down to the fact we're going to run an alpha a couple of times a year. So wonderful strategy. So, Ray, thank you so much for what you've done in the church. We really do bless you for that. Okay, now finally, remember Jesus' heart on the manner of the lost, on the matter of the lost. 
he left the 99 sheep and he went after the one who'd strayed and he brought it back rejoicing. That's real devotion. That's our servant King Jesus. Amen. Okay, as I was preparing that, I, I usually have, I just feel the Holy Spirit normally gives me something and I've reached this morning and I thought, I haven't got anything to bring really at the end of that. I don't feel God's laying anything particularly on my heart. Then as I was sitting down in the quietness of a room this morning, I just felt God laid a scripture on my heart, which I feel I just need to bring this morning. And um, it is Psalm 46. And I, I just feel that God wants to deal with anxiety this morning. Um, a couple of weeks ago in Burton, a lady came up and, and she was talking about her favourite verse in the Bible and it comes out for uh, Psalm 46, verse 10. And it says, be still and know that I am God. Oh, and I just feel actually God wants to do that for several people here this morning. And you might think, well, actually, well, I'm a bit anxious that the roast potatoes are in the oven or I've got salt and pepper on them. That's not that sort of anxiety I'm thinking about here. I'm thinking about you know, actually, when you go home today, you're walking into an anxious situation, or you know tomorrow in the office or the school you're going back to, actually, there's nothing but anxiety in your heart about going back to work or whatever you're doing after the break. Uh, and I just feel that God wants to set you free this morning. It's as simple as that. So um, I think, Adam, could you possibly just come up and play on the guitar in the background. I don't want to prolong this at all. I just feel that if you'll know if that's you, if you feel anxious anyway, I'd love you to come down to the front and we're just going to pray with you and I just want you to be still and I want you to know that he is God and I want to read the rest of that psalm over you if you come down the front here because there's a point that knowing that you're handing it back over to God and saying, just take that anxiety from me, Father. And then we know that very famous scripture in Philippians 4, don't we? That rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. The Lord is near. And then it says, through prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And it talks about the peace. So, as Adam just sings or plays in the background, I just feel... You know, if that doesn't apply to you, then praise God. But why don't you just sit there and be still and know that God loves you. But if you want to be still and know that God is for you and you've got anxiety in your heart and you just want that to be set free again. We talked about freedom this morning. Christine brought that word this morning about what she heard at Cherish about freedom. If you're feeling very anxious this morning, very simply, well, this is family together. This is all about being devoted to one another, about family on the mission, all those things. Just Can I just encourage you to come down the front? If no one comes down the front, that's great. We'll sing a song and then we'll have some coffee. But I felt God put that in my heart for people here. So who's going to be bold enough to get out of the seat?